Well, I just love that song sung at a worship conference. Can you imagine what it's going to be like on the day when we're able to gather back together and sing and worship our God together, uh, lifting up our voices and filling the room with the sound of praise? That day isn't too far away. And I just want to assure you that as a leadership team, we're continuing to monitor the guidance that the government are putting out. And we are working towards that time when we're able to gather again in much larger numbers uh, in the church building. So do uh, keep an eye out for our emails and our social media posts. We'll let you know when all of that is going to happen. Well, can I say a really good morning to you? Uh, my name's Chris Brockway. I have the real joy of being involved in the leadership of the church here. So if I don't know you, if I haven't met you and you're joining us online or you've gathered with us in the Christian Centre this morning, perhaps for the first time, please know how incredibly welcome you are uh, to be with us here today. We'd love to connect with you. So please do take up the invitation uh, which Lawrence gave to uh, click the connect button so that we can uh, know that you're here and perhaps if you're up for it, even get together with you for a coffee. Well, I'm so grateful to Lawrence for leading us this morning, for putting together our time of worship this morning. Lawrence is going to be opening up God's word for us next weekend as well. So we're really looking forward to that as he shares the second message in our brand new sermon series. Well, I'd love for you this morning to imagine for a moment that you're given the task of introducing the Holy Spirit to a room full of strangers, to a room full of people who'd never encountered him before. I wonder how would you do it? What would you choose to say about him? What adjectives would you use to correctly describe his character and his ministry? I wonder if you would even feel qualified or perhaps even knowledgeable enough about him to adequately fulfill that task. Well, it's probably not unfair to say that more than a few Christians would struggle if they were given this responsibility, not only because they don't know him as well as they might know him, but also because they would be aware that the minute they said even one thing about the Holy Spirit, they would be opening themselves up to the critique of others and they would wonder whether or not actually what they've said is even right. Well, sadly, throughout the history of the church, the Holy Spirit has been misunderstood, misinterpreted and misrepresented. Ironically, the very spirit that is there to bring unity in the church has been not the source, that wouldn't be fair, the excuse uh, for, for many church splits because there's been so much misunderstanding. Well, if we're really honest, the Holy Spirit sometimes can seem a little strange to us. Maybe you see the Holy Spirit a bit like that one weird friend of yours. Every group of friends has one, don't they? Uh, and of course, if your group of friends doesn't have one, then it's probably you. The Holy Spirit can be so hard to understand. After all, he was called the Holy Ghost up until just a few decades ago. I wonder if that sounds even just a little bit creepy to you. In Christian circles, especially within the different denominations and groupings of the church, there's a huge amount of debate about the Holy Spirit. Well, for the next five weeks, this is going to be the theme of our new teaching series. The title captures something of how I might at least begin to introduce the Holy Spirit to another person. Three Ps, person, presence, power. Our new series, Seesaws, either side of Pentecost Sunday, which is the 23rd of May this year. 
And of course, at Pentecost, we celebrate Jesus sending his Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, to, to the early church to empower them, to equip them. At Pentecost, we remember that God has given that very same spirit to equip and empower and resource the church today in a new way. Well, during these five weeks, our speakers, our various speakers, will biblically introduce you for the first time or maybe again to the Holy Spirit. And I stress the word biblically because there are some crazy ideas out there. Just Google the Holy Spirit. Watch a few different churches and a few different presentations on YouTube and you'll find out exactly what I mean. Now, from the offset in this series, I want to say something really important. In fact, this is crucial. Whenever we think about the mission and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we must never, ever cut the tether that connects the work of the Spirit to the Word of God. Maybe you've heard the saying that all word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit and no word, we blow up. Both word and spirit, we grow up. All word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit and no word, we blow up. Both spirit and word, we grow up. Word and spirit always equals growth. The spirit and the word always work together in partnership. It is true to say, isn't it, that there is a beautiful mystery about the person and the workings of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures, in fact, even Jesus himself said as much when he likened the, the work of the Holy Spirit to the blowing of the wind. We can't see where it comes from. We don't even know where it's going to go. But what we can see are the effects of that wind. It's true to say that we can't always quantify the workings of the Holy Spirit. We can't always predict what he's going to do. We can't tie him down to a neat formula and we can't put him inside a tidy little box. But we can and we must always anchor our understanding of the Holy Spirit and our interpretations of what he's up to biblically. Without the clarity of the Bible for the next five weeks, we could become so concerned about missing the work of the Spirit that we're willing to attribute absolutely anything to him, even if it's not him. Well, let me give you a quick example of what I mean. Some years ago, I heard the story of a church that had a gas leak. And its church members started getting nauseous and lightheaded during one of their services. Well, the church at this time had been fervently seeking after a move of the Holy Spirit. And the pastor stood at the front and he insisted that this was the working of the Spirit. And he urged everyone to stay to enjoy this unexpected, this unusual thing which the Spirit was doing amongst them. Well, the story goes that some people couldn't take it and they left. They went home. But a lot of people stayed, including the pastor, and they all died from the gas fumes. Well, a carbon monoxide detector might have helped their cause. You see, that story illustrates that if ever we untether the work of the Spirit from the Word of God, then anything, absolutely anything, could be attributed to the work of the Spirit, even lightheadedness, which was in fact caused by a gas leak. Well, given the task of introducing the Holy Spirit to a group of people, Jesus described him like this. This is John chapter 16, verses 13 to 14. Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. 
He will glorify me, that's Jesus, because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit was at least two things. Firstly, he was the spirit of truth. He would guide followers, believers of Jesus into truth, even deeper, more truth. But secondly, Jesus also said that the spirit is the one who glorifies himself, who glorifies Jesus. So we can say that the primary work of the Spirit is to glorify Jesus and to reveal capital to T truth to those who are followers of Jesus. So what we can say so far is this, is that when the Spirit is moving, the primary result is that Jesus will be loved for the first time, that Jesus will be loved again, or that Jesus will be loved even more And people will be led into even deeper truth. But most importantly, when the spirit is moving, Jesus will be glorified. So that leaves us with a question, doesn't it? How would you introduce the Holy Spirit to somebody else given this explanation so far? Well, this is how Billy Graham did it. The Holy Spirit illuminates the minds of people He makes us yearn for God. There's that word again that we had a few weeks back, yearn for God. And he takes spiritual truth and he makes it understandable to us. Now, I think Billy Graham's definition does a really good job and mirrors, in a sense, exactly what Jesus said as well. In a sense, in a few words, we could say the Holy Spirit is a signpost to Jesus. He points to Jesus. He points to truth. Now, during our Jeremiah sermon series, you might recall that we used a few clips from an organization called The Bible Project, who put together little animations to describe particular themes or books of the Bible. And we're not going to use The Bible Project every single week, but they have put together a fantastic animation, which I think does a great job. It's not perfect, but it does a great job of introducing the Holy Spirit. It's particularly good at highlighting for us that the Holy Spirit has been at work since before the beginning of time and that his ministry will continue and it's ongoing for the whole of eternity. Let's watch this little video clip. Lasts about four minutes together. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you gotta clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy, how so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right, wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. 
Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes. And the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus, and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. So the Holy Spirit is present in nearly every single book of the Bible, right the way from Genesis through to Revelation. And as you skip through the pages of the Bible, you discover that there are at least 27 different functions of the Holy Spirit to empower the church, but also to empower individual Christians. Now, you might be pleased to know I'm not going to touch on all 27 of those functions in this one message today. But what I do want to do is very briefly unpack those three words that I spoke of uh, as the title of our sermon series, person, presence, and power. And then in the weeks that are ahead, our various speakers will tangentially unpack each of these themes in a bit more detail. So the first thing we need to think about this morning is the person of the Holy Spirit. What's really interesting grammatically is that when Jesus describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, that phrase that we heard him use, spirit of truth, is preceded by and then immediately followed by the words he and his. Well, in just two verses of scripture, verses 13 and 14 of John chapter 16, you can count nine he's and him's. Now, what's important here is that this was no accident. This wasn't a grammatical mistake. 
You see, if Jesus wanted us to believe that the Spirit of God were merely a force like uh, gravy, (laughs) I mean gravity, it says gravy in my notes, or electricity or nuclear power, that he was some impersonal, disinterested energy source, then Jesus would have used the pronoun it. When it, the spirit of truth comes, it will guide you into all truth. But he doesn't. He says he straight away, and this really matters. John makes a point of recording that Jesus personified the Holy Spirit. When he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you of what is yet to come and so on. Now, to me, this sounds like the kind of person that you could get to know deeply, not like gravity or gravy for that matter, which couldn't care less about you, but as a person. Okay, not a person with eyes and hands and feet, but the Holy Spirit is someone who has the characteristics of personhood, somebody who can be known. So we can say with absolute clarity this morning that the Holy Spirit can be known. But two, we discover from the New Testament, amongst other things, that the Holy Spirit knows. He can be known and he knows. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. He says, The Spirit teaches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So in summary, we can say whoever does not know God, the Holy Spirit, cannot know God at all. Whoever does not know God, the Holy Spirit, cannot know God at all. Paul's point here is that because the Holy Spirit is a person, he possesses intellect. He knows. He knows the deep things of God. Or we could say he knows everything there is to know about God. No wonder Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into truth. There is no one better qualified to teach us about the things of God, the deeper things of God, than the Holy Spirit himself, who is God. Well, I guess we could say, couldn't we, in summary, that the Holy Spirit is our live-in, our resident teacher, who's ready to help us understand and apply God's word and the things of God every time we encounter them. So firstly, the person of the Holy Spirit can be known and he knows. But our second P is the word presence. Scripture reveals to us, doesn't it, that by his spirit, that God is everywhere present. Lawrence earlier on began with the latter part of Psalm 139. And I want to take us back to verses 7 to 10. They say this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, you're there, you will guide me. Now, these words that were penned by David teach us that God's spirit observes us everywhere we go. They teach teach us that God's spirit is sensitive to our every thought, to our every action. Now, that's both a terrifying and a comforting thought all at the same time. Terrifying because there's nothing that God doesn't know about us. Terrifying because there's no place we can go. There's nothing we can do that God doesn't know about. 
But it's comforting at the same time because the Holy Spirit is everywhere present. And that means that therefore, as God's children, we are constantly always within the caring, loving circle of God's concern. If we try and run away from him, then he runs alongside us. If we try and hide from him, then he's already waiting for us in our hiding place. Now, maybe that makes God's presence sound a bit like some kind of divine surveillance camera who dispassionately tracks our every single move. We could say, well, wherever you are, whatever you're, wherever you're going, then God is with you. Now, David knew that to be true. But how much more do we know and experience the presence of God living this side of the cross? Unlike David, who lived the other side of the cross. But how much more do we know the presence of God today? In fact, because of Jesus, we can change that sentence that you can see on your screen now to say, wherever you are, wherever you're going, God is within you. Wherever you are, wherever you're going, God is not just with you, but God is within you. You see, Jesus longs for us to enjoy a deeper and a more intimate experience of his presence in our lives. When we become Christians, we're invited into this mind-blowing adventure of seeing God's spirit move in us and through us. Of seeing God's spirit touch our lives and even through us touch the lives of other people in supernatural ways. I wonder how often you forget, like I sometimes forget, that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit resides within you. That day that you came to faith in Christ, the seed of the Spirit was planted within you. So we can say this morning, you don't need to receive the Spirit. You already have him if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5, the Apostle Paul challenges the Corinthian believers with a question, and I think it's a great question to ask and even answer. Paul says there, do you not realize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? In writing, Jesus Christ is in you, Paul wasn't just speaking poetically or metaphorically. He literally meant that Christ was present in the lives, was dwelling within the lives of those who'd come to know and love Christ. Now, there are many other verses in the Bible that confirm the fact that Jesus actually lives by his spirit in the believers, in those who follow him. God's presence is not only with but God's presence, in fact, is within. Romans chapter 8, verse 10, Paul says, Christ is in you. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, we are vessels that contain a treasure. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Just like the Corinthians, we believers today need to realize this mind-blowing fact about ourselves. Christ isn't just outside of us like some kind of helper in our time of need, but he actually lives within us and he's with us all of the time. In those words we heard from John chapter 16, if you know the context, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for his upcoming death. Their hearts are heavy. They're really burdened with sadness about all that they're going to be going through, about all that Jesus has said to them. And Jesus says something to them in these moments, which is absolutely shocking, but also is a source of hope and a source of comfort, which would completely change their reality if only they could get their heads around what he was saying. 
A bit earlier on in John chapter 16, in verses 6 to 7, this is what it says. You are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I thought to myself, wouldn't it be incredible if Jesus was right here in person to talk to and I could learn from him and I could watch him perform miracles? And of course, that would be incredible. What a brilliant experience to be able to have. But it seems to me there in John chapter 16, as Jesus is giving these final words to his disciples, he's actually saying to them, do you know what? It's better for me, for you. It's better for you that I'm not here in person. Because when I've gone, I'm going to send the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to you. In essence, Jesus was saying to them, look, the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. The spirit inside you is better than having Jesus beside you. As the Spirit abides in us, the full presence of God is among us and in us. So how do we experience this abiding presence of Jesus even more? Well, the answer can be found in a single word. The answer is the word ask. Ask for it. Expect the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. You see, God's Spirit is the gift that he absolutely loves to give. Ask God to pour his spirit into your life in a fresh way and a new way. And as you live and believe, you will experience God much more deeply as he leads you into truth. Jesus promised exactly that. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He said that the father loves to give, give good gifts. How much more? How much more does he love to give the gift of his spirit when we ask? We should crave God's personal presence within us, like the very breath that fills our lungs. The presence of God in our life should be as natural for us as our very breathing. So firstly, we've thought about the person of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we've thought about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we come to our third P, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to say much more about this final P on Pentecost Sunday in a few weeks' time. But isn't it amazing how just within a matter of weeks of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and then his ascension, which we'll think about on Thursday, his ascension, and in fact, within minutes of receiving the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that the disciples suddenly became bold evangelists for Jesus. They literally became history changers in these moments. Listen to what we could include on their CV after the day of Pentecost. Think of Peter who stood up boldly and, and preached to thousands of believers and many, uh, thousands of people and many of them came to believe in Jesus. Here was the guy who just a few weeks before had denied Jesus three times. Then think of Peter and John as they appeared before the most powerful body that there was at that time, the Jewish council, the very same council that had condemned Jesus to death. They stand up and boldly proclaimed that Jesus was Lord and Saviour. Most of the disciples founded and then went on to pastor churches. This was the group of people who took the gospel to most of the known world at the time. They went as far south as Ethiopia. They went as far north as Armenia, the former Soviet Union. They went as far west as Rome and they went as far east as India. 
Because of their confident faith in Jesus, some of them were tortured and they had the strength to stand. And all but one of them were executed because of their faith in Jesus. Well, how did that happen? How did this ordinary group of flawed, reactionary, prideful men become world changers? How did they do it? Well, they did it because of the power of the Holy Spirit. They did it because the Holy Spirit, that promised gift of God, is all-powerful. Now, in our little video animation that we saw, we saw the Holy Spirit's power, didn't we, in that mysterious and that awesome moment of creation, when the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the surface of the earth and the watery depths. And then as the Holy Spirit arrives, he draws life out of this chaotic earth and he produces light and he produces order. But the creative power of the Holy Spirit, very much involved in that moment of creation in bringing the physical world into existence, was not God's only or even his ultimate concern. In his love and in his mercy, through his spirit, he, it, God hovers over the least and the lost and he brings life out of death and he brings light into darkness. And he's still doing that amongst us today. The Holy Spirit is passionate about new life. We're going to explore that theme a bit more next weekend. But perhaps one of the strongest, one of the clearest verses about the Holy Spirit's power is found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is consistently associated with power. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, which has created so much controversy in the church. But the power of the Holy Spirit is referenced consistently throughout the New Testament. There are over a dozen references to people receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I mentioned a bit earlier on that the Bible describes 27 different power functions of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to explore those a bit more on Pentecost Sunday. But before we get to that, I want us to be really clear about what we're to do with that power. What's the purpose of that power that the Holy Spirit is able to give? Well, the rest of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 actually answers the question for us. It says there that the purpose of this power is that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Why was God empowering his disciples? Why does he empower us today to do his work? Well, he does it so that we will be effective witnesses for him. That's always been God's mission. In fact, even if you go back as far as Genesis chapter 12, you'll see that when God calls Abraham to bless the nations, this was God's plan all along. He was calling him to be a witness um, to, so that we could be an effective witness uh, to God. You see, the Holy Spirit is about bringing more of us into God's story, not more of God into our story. Let me say that again because it seems so important. The Holy Spirit is about bringing more of us into God's story, not more of God into our story. And perhaps where there's been great controversy in the church, it's because folk have gotten that wrong. As I draw to a close, I want to leave with us one massive caution as we journey onwards through this series in looking at the Holy Spirit. There is a danger 
And the danger is this, it's the temptation to turn the person, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit into something very individualistic. To turn the person, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit into something which is all about me and not really about God. You see, the Spirit is always about God's bigger story more than it's about my story as an individual. And I think if we remember that as we journey on with this sermon series, it will prevent us from turning in the, the spirit into our private spiritual energy drink or something similar to Popeye spinach where we need a quick boost or we need some power, we need to show off. So we quickly drink in of the Holy Spirit and bang, away we go. It seems to me if that's our approach to the Holy Spirit, then actually we're getting it wrong. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You see, this is more about God than it is really about us. You will be my witnesses to the very end of the earth. Jesus says to the disciples, look, wait into Jerusalem until you receive the power of the Spirit. Why? Because you can't do this ministry. You can't do this mission on your own without the equipping of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus too says what that power is for. It's not to give them shivers in their livers. It's not to give them a great church service. But the Spirit is empowering them in order that they will be effective witnesses to the very ends of the earth for the God that they've come to know and they love. The Holy Spirit, person, presence, and power. Let's be still for a moment. Let's just open up our hearts and our lives, wherever you are right now, whether you're in the Christian center uh, watching this in this moment, can I encourage you maybe just to be still, perhaps open your hands out, ready to receive the gifts that God loves to give to us. Maybe if you're watching this at home, then take a moment just to be still as well, maybe to hold your hands out to receive the gift that God can give. Maybe today you're watching this on catch up. God can cope with catch up. He's outside of time. Be ready to receive the gifts that he loves to give today. Let's just open up our hearts to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Just maybe today as we're still, God is just encouraging you to fan into flame the gift of faith that he's given to you already. Holy Spirit, come. Grow our faith. Grow our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe the challenge for you today is around the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Let's open ourselves up this morning to say to God, God, would you grow those fruit within our lives? If I'm loving already, Lord, would you make me even more loving? Lord, if I've already got joy, would you give me even more joy? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Nurture these fruit, we pray. Maybe for you this morning, you're just aware that God gave you a gift a long time ago, a gift of the Holy Spirit that's just been lying dormant. Maybe it was the ability to speak in tongues, the ability to offer a word in season. Maybe it was about a word of knowledge. Maybe it was a gift of, of service in some way, shape or form. Just be aware of what those dormant gifts might be. Maybe they've been dormant because we've done 12 months or more now of online church and there's been limited opportunity to exercise those gifts. Holy Spirit, come. Reactivate those gifts, I pray. Give us opportunity to use them.
But maybe today too, you just long that God would give you a spiritual gift. Seems to me in scripture, there's no harm in asking. And once we've asked, be expectant that God will give the gifts to us that we've asked for. Holy Spirit, come. Equip us, not for our own sense of glorification, but in order that we can glorify Jesus. Not so that we look great, but so that Jesus looks great. That we would be an effective witness to him. Or just maybe today, you have a sense that you've been camping out in camp comfort zone. That the Christian life actually is really comfortable for you and not terribly challenging. Here's a dangerous prayer if you fancy praying it. Holy Spirit, move in my life. Move in my life that I could be really effective for you. Lord, give me opportunities to be a witness. Take me to a new place in my journey of faith. And then maybe finally this morning for you, you just need the spirit to work within you because actually you've not yet come to that place where you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and your saviour. New life is a massive work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, without the work of the Holy Spirit, none of us would ever come to faith in Jesus. And maybe if that's you this morning, just take this moment to commit your life for the first time or afresh if you've wandered away from from God, commit yourself again to Jesus this morning and simply pray, Holy Spirit, come. I invite you to take up residence in my life. Thank you that you're able to deal with my sin and my shame and my guilt, that you are the giver of new life. I commit my life to you today as Lord and Saviour. I wonder if you can imagine for even a moment what things would start to look like if all of us were open and willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives for the betterment of this church, for the betterment of this neighborhood, for the betterment of the other churches in Christchurch. What would our conurbation of BCP, wherever we are right now, start to look like if we opened ourselves up to a move of the Holy Spirit who will always point to Jesus and lead us into even deeper truth. Holy Spirit, continue the good work that you've begun. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.